Welcome to Lynn Cullen Live, talk radio without the static. Email your questions and comments to lynn at pghcitypaper.com. And now your host, Lynn Cullen. Hello, hello, here she is. Man, I'll tell you something. Uh, Normally, the morning after uh, a State of the Union address, I am... uh, I'm depressed, I'm beleaguered, I'm exhausted. Um, and I found that speech energizing. <laughs> I see some commentators saying it was boring. No, it wasn't. It wasn't boring. It was like, thank God. Thank God. A good man stands before us. A quiet spoken man stands before us. He says things that are true. He doesn't trot out people like Rush Limbaugh and give them the highest honors a president can bestow. He was not negative. He was positive. It was, um, to me, bracing. And finally, to have a president who says what is true, how wonderful is that? Example, health care should be a right not a privilege. Every other industrialized nation in the world figured that out a long time ago. But America, the outlier, the cruel nation, does not acknowledge that healthcare should be a right, not a privilege. It made me think, oh my God, we are so really backward a nation. To have him have to go on about giving families help in raising their children, an Affordable Child Care Act. Again, anyone listening from a civilized nation to this speech would look dumbfounded. You mean Americans don't have childcare help? Let's not even mention that we're the only nation without universal health care. Right. Uh, it was just so good to know that for this little moment in time, There is an honorable man who wants to make things better. Not for himself. Not grifting and looting his way through this position of power, but working his tail off to help Americans. And again, power of seeing those two women behind him. 
people often say, you know, my young daughter looking at that speech can imagine herself someday in that position. And it, of course, made me remember that I, once, someone's young daughter, watched all of these kinds of events and was clearly, clearly shown that this was not something I could aspire to. And in that regard, I was no different from every black child, every brown child, every girl child. And to know that that change, that opening up of possibility to all, so that as a nation, we employ the talents and skills of all of us to, of course, our benefit. To know that that relatively new reality, very new reality, is pretty much behind the insurrection on January 6th at the Capitol, the delusional mass insanity of a huge swath of white Americans, they look at this quiet, gentle man speaking of making things better for all people. They watch and see two women and one, a woman not white, behind him in positions of extraordinary power. And they go literally berserk. It's amazing. It's amazing. So one thing he said that I so loved. Wall Street didn't build this country. The middle class built this country and unions built the middle class. That is correct. And of course we could add Black people built this country. In chains. It's so good to hear truth again. And then when he talks about to pay for all this stuff that he wants to do, that every other industrialized nation on Earth already has been doing, we're going to have to get more taxes. And he's saying, I'm not going to raise taxes. He said he wasn't going to raise taxes on anybody making 
$400,000 a year or less. Well, whoa. I don't know about you, but uh, that means I'm not going to have my taxes raised. <laughs> right? I'm willing to bet that 99% of us are not going to see our taxes raised. And yet Republicans rise up because the rich, the truly rich, are the ones who are going to be asked to kick some of that filthy lucre of theirs back into the national pot and lift others, hardworking people, out of poverty, out of the dead ends we've put them in by refusing to be a responsible and humane nation. Just some of what I heard from this wonderful man last night. 55 of this nation's largest companies paid not a penny last year in taxes. How much did you pay? 55 of the nation's largest companies paid not a penny. And somehow the Republicans have made Americans who pay taxes believe that that's somehow good for them. It trickles down. No, it doesn't. Jeez. No, it doesn't. That train left the station so long ago. And speaking of trains, infrastructure, my mother said, gee, I wish there was a train I could just jump on and Take a nice, leisurely trip to Pittsburgh. And I said, well, that would require you living in a civilized nation. <laughs> a normal, wealthy nation. Almost every other nation on earth. So 55 of nation's biggest companies paid not a penny last year. And that is why, that is when, at the same time, they hauled in $40 billion in profits. How do we allow this? You know, the word insanity keeps popping into my head. We are a nation that's, I don't know, somehow been hoodwinked to the point that we are sort of insane, that we tolerate this and have. For year after year after year after year as the rich take more and more and more and children are left behind in poverty. What kind of a nation does that? A nation you pledge allegiance to? A nation whose national anthem makes your heart swell with pride? That's our mythology 
that's not our reality. Our reality is so much darker. So there's Biden saying, I'm not going to raise taxes on anybody who makes $400,000 or less. In fact, the tax plan I intend to proffer, which will pay for lifting children out of poverty and making preschool universal and making uh, community college free, that will be paid for by these despicable companies who haul in $40 billion and don't pay a penny. The president said, we need to reward work, not wealth. But that is what this country, again, we have been brainwashed to believe. You keep showering more and more on those who already have it all. Leaving those who build the country, the working class, what's left of the middle class, to fend for themselves and be given no credit. Oh, it'll trickle down. Leftovers, crumbs from the rich man's table. And you watch as the Republicans and even idiots like Joe Manchin stand in the way of a tax increase that will really impact less than one half of 1% of Americans. And the odds are you don't know any of them. <laughs> they don't live in your neighborhood. But the Republicans will go to the mat and their base, which often is living in near poverty itself, will again blindly follow because they've been brainwashed. We have all been brainwashed into accepting this is stupidity that our government is not intended to help us in very real ways, in child care, in health care, in education. It is supposed to be there for us. People in other countries go to bed at night and they don't have the anxiety that comes with being an American who doesn't know if, God forbid, somebody in the family needs some medication or needs an operation or your car breaks down and you are living on the edge and there is no help. This American jobs plan that the president spoke of last night. Good God in heaven. He, it, it, it just sounded like it, it was such a breath of fresh 
air. He talked of solving so many of our problems by giving, by creating jobs, good jobs for people. He talked of how an extraordinary number of Americans in the richest country on earth live in communities that have lead pipes that leach poison into their water, into their children's water. The schools of this country with lead pipes doing incredible harm to our children. And we've done nothing next to nothing because that is what this country does for the least of us as it continues to shower more and more on the filthy rich. So Biden's jobs plan creates jobs for people who will descend upon our nation's schools and communities and get rid of those lead pipes. Two birds with one stone. Great jobs. Better infrastructure. And stopping the poisoning of our nation's children. Climate change. He's brilliantly figured out that you sell climate change by look at what a challenge this is, but look at the opportunity of job creation here. Pittsburgh got a mention, didn't it? Said, why should, I think it was wind turbines, be built in China and not in Pittsburgh? Let's build a green economy with all of the good paying jobs required in it. I've never liked that slogan he came up with, build back better. But that is, that is it in a nutshell. Build and build better and smarter and create these good jobs. And he brought up something that I'm just starting to pay attention to and it scares me. And I'm just starting to peek at it. But he mentioned how, because he's been in government so long, that he knows the leader of China. He knows the Chinese. He's spoken to their leadership for decades as a senator, as a vice president. And he made no, he didn't in any way mince his words that China fully intends to replace us as the power in the world. And while we, while our politicians spend time talking about 
Dr. Seuss and hamburgers and God knows what other insanity Fox News is spewing today. China's getting ready to clean our clock. They're investing huge amounts in research. They're compiling the kind of data needed to own the globe. And we are doing next to nothing. We're not even educating the workforce. We are falling behind by every measure as we pat ourselves on the back for being the greatest. Guys, I don't know. I found it bracing, but of course now it bumps into the reality of the Republicans. You saw them. My God, I, I was saying, are they going to stand up for anything here? I think when he said, let's end cancer, I think the Republicans stood up. <laughs> I'm not sure. Do they stand up for that? Oh, my God. By American, I think they stood up. Didn't they? But he did. Biden say we are we are about. You think it's been dizzying the changes we have seen in the last five years because of technology? How you're never can quite keep up. God knows I can't. Us old folks being it's hard not to get left behind. We just, you know, can't keep up. And he said that we will see more technological change in the next, I think he said in the next five years, than we've seen in the last 50. Which means the world in five years' time will be different in large measure in how things are done and what people need to be educated to do. And as I said, China is aware of this, unlike us, who are at each other's throats about Dr. Seuss and cancel culture. We are pathetic. China's already investing in all of this. And we are already playing catch-up, only we are not playing catch-up with any fervor or with any national intent to do so. The president last night suggested we better start. You know, I... There was an article, an op-ed in yesterday's paper that, I think it was yesterday, that I saw the headline and thought, ooh, I should read that. But this other voice in my head said, don't. 
it sounded so frightening. It was, again, something, it was about China. <laughs> and it was about how, I think it's Tom Friedman who wrote it. And from the headline, there seemed to be an implication that we are sort of heading inexorably toward war with that country. Because after all, how does, how does the brilliant, uh, you know, life form known as Homo sapiens ever deal with big issues? We kill each other. We go to war. So we are essentially still clinging. We're on top, even though we fall behind in our quality of life. I mean, just we're, it's amazing. Of course, the rich in our country are living the greatest lives available to anyone in the world. But that is not true of the vast majority of Americans. China, meanwhile, in its dogged intent, fully expects to replace us as the power in the world. Now, how do you do that? Well, you can do it economically, <clears throat> and they will. But China has also shown they're quite willing to do things <clears throat> in a more aggressive military fashion, too. And so I, if I didn't read the piece, but I swear to God, Friedman was suggesting, <clears throat> excuse me, that it won't be all that far into the future. I, th I thought I saw a date of 2030 something, which is 10 years, 10, 15 years where we could be at war. And think of how that could easily happen as China starts to take Hong Kong back, as China starts eyeing Taiwan. We are pledged, I believe, to uh, not let that happen. So as China gets more powerful and gets more expansionist, in Asia you know things will happen I'm just saying I don't even want to think about it now but as <clears throat> as an American I too have been taught never to look very far ahead <laughs> you know we're always dealing in the here and now which is not a smart way to proceed if you want to stay in a position of power. Now, a lot of Americans have said, oh, we don't need to be the biggest and the best. Heck with it. And I know that sounds good. But do you want to live in a world that China dominates and sets the rules for, the tone it will not be a democratic world in, in any way. It'll be an authoritarian world. Individuality, that most American ideal, 
Mm, not so much. So I'm just saying that's something, you know, we need to pay attention to. There's an awful lot we need to pay attention to. All right, guys. I don't know. What do you want to talk about today? Hmm? I don't have a clue. Ah, so I have a caller. Good. This is exactly what I want. Hello? Hi. Hi, Father Joseph. So I think, are you right, uh, on China? But China, the Chinese have been involved in what they call the peaceful rise for some time. What that is is that they have been very, very uh, proactive in their business dealings uh, and using diplomacy. For example, in the continent of Africa, they have made lots of deals for mineral rights. I believe, I believe, a uh, Chinese company now runs the Panama Canal. I think so. Um, yep. The issue really is that their, their emphasis is on resources. And I remember um, in graduate school, uh, one of our you know, military graduate schools, they talked about China. And the question really was, uh, well, China, we got a war over Taiwan or something like that. And the Chinese, um, a Chinese leader said, it actually what will probably bring the United States war with China will be over resources. It will be over resources. Now, this is not to us. Um, it, it, uh, Japan actually went to war with us because we uh, did a great deal to curtail their resource, their ability to get resources. Now, maybe out of China it was, but the point of the matter is that they felt as though we were hitting them in uh, with access to oil and things like that. And so that was one of the reasons why they wanted to neutralize us. And so, because they thought, you know, you're trying to prevent us from, from growing. And so, um, and I didn't even know that. <laughs> I was reading, reading the history of this uh, as we were looking at uh, uh, strategic issues. Now, I think uh, President Biden is, is spot on about the need to make sure that we reestablish we re ties with our allies. And here's the reason. Capitalist countries do not go to war against one another. That's that why that supported the United States. The other reason it's important to the United States is that we exist. Uh, we have a Navy, we have an Air Force, uh, we have an Army. We exist in order to make sure we can uh, maintain those trade routes and the ability to travel in order to do those things that we like to do as a nation, which is as a capitalist nation, we like to do business. That, that's, that's one of our big reasons for doing that. So it's really interesting, and I think, I think uh, Biden's... Uh, uh, Face was, was very, very good. And I think you're right about Manchin. I think that's the guy uh, who can really gum this up. And it yep. uh, sort, sort of reminds me of um, uh, what Lieberman did during uh, the Affordable Care Act um, uh, deliberations. Because I think we would have had a, uh, a, 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 a public option had it not been for him. So, yeah. The power of one man. Uh, yeah, it's frightening. It's frightening. Mansion is really upsetting me. <laughs> but thank you for that. I mean, you know, you spending your your uh, your professional life in the military having a, a very very interesting uh, perspective for us to hear, and I appreciate it. Oh, always a pleasure. <laughs> Take care. Th thank you. Bye. 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 Um, yeah. Let's get uh, 
Bree writes, I caught some of the media coverage of Biden's chat. <laughs> it seemed more of a chat than a speech, which was fine. Well, I think part of that was that it didn't have the usual, you know, the place wasn't packed. It was uh, more intimate in that regard. And and he's not a bombastic uh, speaker, right? He's not a, he, he just, God bless him. Anyway, Bree goes on, Al Jazeera News had a bit of Biden and then the Republican response. The response basically said, Biden promised to unite us, but gosh darn it, we refuse to be united. And therefore he has not fulfilled his promise. <laughs> yeah, that was pretty much it. Bree goes on, the American system has hit a big roadblock. Basically, anything one party says, the other party is 100% opposed to before the words are even spoken. Some of this has always gone on, the rhetoric, but more and more the media solidifies this new reality of stark opposition that is taking place. Yeah, we're in a bad spot. Bree continues, you're correct that the U.S. gets caught up with a lot of silliness and maybe not silliness, but just stuff that holds us back. China is really progressing fast. I see a lot more of it being over here in Asia. They also have issues, no doubt. But yeah, we need to pay attention to it. I am hoping that media coverage is not equal reality, but increasingly it appears to be so. I don't quite understand that, Brie. Okay. Henry writes, my notes from the speech, I felt that Biden's speech had a flavor not unlike those speeches given by FDR. Well, you know what? Because I think, again, that's what Brie said called a chat, a fireside chat. It was intimate. You know what else? He talks. He talks like a human being talks. He doesn't talk in highfalutin phrases. He just talks like a regular show. Hmm? It feels very comfortable. God bless him. Henry writes, attendance, which was limited to 200, was supposed to be by lottery but all of the Republican troublemakers were there in plain sight. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Biden's only chance to get anything done, Henry says, is to eliminate the filibuster. And that's where Manchin is opposed totally. So Henry says, if Biden has to, he needs to give Manchin anything he wants. The problem is Manchin is living in some la-la land where he thinks somehow the Republicans will magically uh, sit down and, uh, and negotiate in good faith and, and that they're, they are actually potential partners for compromise for the way American uh, legislative business gets done, but they are not. And they're very open about not. They're recalcitrant. 
their idea is to absolutely do nothing. And then in the next election to blame Biden and Democrats for not being bipartisan. (laughs) That's the game plan. They never do a thing. They have no agenda other than winning back the House and Senate. And in two years, the White House. That's the only thing. That's all they see. Politics to them has been reduced to one thing. Power. And Democrats believe in governance. They believe you do stuff with the power. Republicans just want the power. Keep things as they are, which I guess is good for the rich people that Republicans go to the mat for. Mm. So. Something uh, interesting um, that is not what you would expect. One of the things that uh, the Biden administration has done in regards to COVID is model uh, good pandemic behaviors like mask wearing and social distancing. And uh, this, this, this strange uh, State of the Union address where only 200 people were allowed in and everybody except Biden uh, when he spoke wore a mask, that was modeling for everybody. Look, we are powerful people. We are following these rules. You need to do this. But um, Lena Wen, who is a a doctor, you see her, I think on a, I think she's a CNN contributor. Um, she took issue with that uh, modeling last night. She said that Biden missed his biggest opportunity to reduce this vaccine hesitancy which has us a little bit stymied. And she said, by still enforcing as if there were not any vaccines out there, (laughs) as if, um, what, half of American adults didn't have at least one vaccine in them, that the modeling that was done was really sort of incorrect. The odds are most of the people in that room were fully vaccinated, except of course for the Republicans. Now on the on the Democratic side, certainly. And she was saying that you know here was a an here was a chance to show. Americans who think somehow that their normal lives will never come back to show how much progress has been made. And she says, we are a different place than we were a year ago. 
these vaccines are extraordinarily effective. I mean, it. what she points out is that according to what the numbers we've got in, this nation has 87 million fully vaccinated people. Of those 87 million people, there have been a little more than 7,000 COVID infections. 7,157 people after getting vaccinated got COVID. None of them died. You know what the rate of reinfection is? The rate of infection? If you're fully vaccinated? 0.008. Which means that you are much more likely, if fully vaccinated, to be killed by a, I don't know, a hippopotamus falling on you. And she's suggesting that really we're, 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 this is a very damaging narrative that is taking hold. So Americans are being told, get these vaccines, they're totally effective. And then they tune in and they see the very people who are telling them, to get vaccines, they're so effective, acting like nothing's changed. And so Lena Wen is simply asking, you know, this has to do with perception. What's the point of getting vaccinated? This is what someone's head might, if, if nothing changes. So, um, it's an interesting, uh, contrarian uh, take. So she thinks that we need to stop being quite so tepid in um, reemerging and showing people that in fact we are reemerging. Yes, Ansel, I saw this too. Ansel writes, halfway through the speech, Nancy Pelosi's eyes grew wide open and she looked down, I assume at her cell phone. And then she got a look on her face that to me looked worrisome. And she began to look left and look right. At this point, I was concerned, fully expecting that we were about to clear out the chamber. And then she grabs the microphone, and I thought, here we go. And then she lowers the mic. Clearly, someone texted her asking her to lower the mic. My imagination runs wild. You know what? I don't know if I saw exactly what you saw, but I, too, saw something where I said, "Uh uh-oh. And I saw her eyes grow wide. I don't know that I saw her look down. I saw her look in one direction and Kamala Harris did as well. So something, something happened in the chamber somewhere. Something happened, somebody moved, something, something, because both of those women's eyes went that way. 
And there was another point where, right, Pelosi appeared to be standing up. And it was that maybe what you're talking about, and then sits back down. I, was that all in the same? I don't know. What did you guys see? Something odd did happen there. And um, I don't know if it's odd, but it'd be nice to have a um, an explanation <laughs> for those of us like Ansel and me whose imaginations can run uh, wild. I I don't know if anyone else saw it, but... Obviously, Ansel did, and I did too. I, I didn't mention it to anybody, but I did. I saw both both of them look uh, at something. So who knows? What the hell was Manchin doing? I was, he was up in the gallery, but at one point they took a shot of him and it literally looked like he was sinking. He was like on his haunches or something and sinking into a chair while in a strange pose while like scribbling on a pad. And I thought, what the hell is he doing? <laughs> I, I don't know. I'm, he's not on my favorites list at the moment. Believe me, not, not. He must be feeling pretty full of himself. And he's got to be dealt with. And you can't primary him. The Democrats can't say, okay, we're getting rid of this jerk and getting a better, getting a real Democrat in here. You can't do that because he's the only Democrat, uh, right, that West Virginia would elect. I mean, they'll just then be another Republican. I don't know. I don't know and I don't pretend to know. Okay, before I run out of time, I've got to, I'm going to change subjects if you guys are um, still wanting me to talk about the State of the Union address. But boy, was that not, that's the most enjoyable one I have had from uh, ever, forever, because they're so, you know, they're usually so boring, you know, we know, get sit down. I used to do TV pieces on how many times the the people there had to get up and sit down and get up. It's, it's, it's like uh, it amounts to congressional calisthenics, right? It's maybe more exercise than some of these guys normally get. Although the Republicans, as I said, did not get much exercise. They were not getting up for much anything. And let's beat cancer. Mm, stony. Um, I uh, have not spoken much about the fact that uh, Elon Musk, uh, not one of my favorite people, but clearly someone to be, um, well, paid attention to. <laughs> he apparently now is running our space program. <laughs> Um, and you know, this latest rocket of his that used rocket, I mean, this, this is where, yeah. Okay. You let a businessman in and, uh, he was looking at costs a little more than when uh, the government was running the program. So he's saying, geez, these, you know, these rockets cost so damn much money. I mean, you, you, you go 
up once and then they're that's the end so you know we've got these reusable <laughs> these rockets that go up and then they come back and dutifully land on you know on some boat platform and are used again so the the, the last trip to the international space station brought four astronauts in an elon musk uh used <laughs> used vehicle uh to the space station and uh, I think two were Americans, I think, and one was Japanese and the other was French. And, you know, I'll give you this. Down here on Earth, as we, you know, fail to get along with each other and work together, that space station remains uh this one bright spot doesn't it or am i being am i romanticizing something i don't know enough about where men and women of various you know skills and nationalities go up there and work on experiments and science that i mean it's like true camaraderie and cooperation, which you don't see when gravity is around. It's only in this zero gravity spot floating around together that people seem to get along. Anyway, what I wanted to point out is this funny thing I read. So do you remember when, you know, uh, and oh, I should note the passing of, uh, I'm in a blank, uh, starts with C, Collins, uh, the astronaut. The poor guy, I always felt so sorry for him. You know, he goes all the way to the moon, but doesn't get there. He has to stay in the getaway car <laughs> while, uh, you know, the other two. Uh, Buzz and Neil get to cavort around on the surface of the moon. But he he was a remarkable guy. Everything I ever read about him. Good man. Um, anyway, where was I? Okay, so when those guys went, you remember like the food they ate? I mean, it would be squeezed out of tubes or I, I mean, it, it was, first of all, I, there was no space in the cab. Where do you even keep food? But somehow they managed, right, to sustain themselves and um, and eat. Well, obviously on the space station, I don't know if you've ever read about how people are eating up there. And food in space has, not surprisingly, gotten a, a whole lot better uh, than the earlier astronauts <laughs> had to choke down. Um, and there was this long article <laughs> that I read about the fact that these last four who went on Elon Musk's used uh, vehicle uh, one was a French guy, and it was like somebody had the question, you know, well, the French, I wonder what the French guys bring in to eat. 
And it hadn't even occurred to me that each astronaut would be responsible for their own food. But it, it, it turns out that, yeah, the Japanese guy brought Japanese food and the um, French guy brought French food. And it the French use and have some of their greatest chefs working with their scientists to create food that is worthy of, of the French cuisine. And so I got to tell you, the French astronaut is, is uh, eating better up there. The Americans are still eating macaroni and cheese, which they like. It's fine. It's fine. But um, the French, he's going to, the French guy's going to be up there for six months. And here's some of the stuff on his, in his refrigerator. You do wonder where they store all this crap. Okay, here's some of what he's going to get to eat. Prepared by, as I said, the best French Michelin-starred chefs. That astronaut's going to be eating lobster, yeah. Beef bourguignon. Cod with black rice. Potato cakes with wild mushrooms. And almond tarts with caramelized pears. Wow. So the French guy, I'm just telling you, his name is Pesquet. Pesquet is going to, Thomas, Thomas Pesquet is, uh, he's, man, maybe eating better than he does at home. Now, it, it, the food still has to be freeze dried. It still doesn't, it's not like it's, you know, it's, it has to be freeze dried. All the water has to be extracted because there isn't space in space, they have like big, huge refrigerators with 10 months of food in them. And so it all has to be reduced. And then obviously it has to be re-injected with fluid and heated. And here's the thing. There's a lot of stuff that goes into th thinking about how you eat in space. You can't have anything that has like crumbs. So a crisp, he's not going to be eating a nice crispy uh, piece of French bread. Because, uh -uh. you know, crumbs, you're in space. And crumbs, well, would start floating around. Uh, you'd inhale them. You're minding your own business enough. You know, and a piece of uh, French bread crumb goes right up your nose. It can also, you know, get into the equipment, which could be uh, not good. So you got to inject water into the freeze-dried fruit. Then they used a convection oven. Um, no alcohol. Not surprised. No alcohol. So much no alcohol. They get this. When the French guys, the French are saying, we can't have alcohol, but I have a sauce where the alcohol will be reduced, of course. But uh -uh. there was one recipe with mushroom sauce um, that the alcohol before this past muster had to be extracted <laughs> through a spinning evaporator 
but not remove the flavor. This is the kind of stuff these chefs and the scientists in France are dealing with. So the sauce was then verified by the scientists to be alcohol-free, and, and they did that through a nuclear magnetic resonance instrument. Don't, I, yeah, just so, just for the mushroom sauce, guys. And um, it's hard for flavor to uh, survive all of these uh, changes. Uh, sterilization and freeze drying and then reanimating or whatever they call it. Um, so just something you might never have thought about that I'm saying you should think about. Now, NASA being NASA has gotten better, as I said, but, and they have page after page after page of not recipes because they don't do recipes. All of the recipes are reduced, like everything else is reduced in a bureaucracy, to specifications. It's macaroni and cheese specifications. I'd love to see some of those. As one um, humorless NASA guy said, just like any other piece of a rocket engine or a space suit, our food is a government-certified spaceflight hardware that fulfills a specific function, the word specific being important, which is why we must have the same kind of specifications for it. So, um, whatever. Stuff you didn't know. Maybe. Maybe you did. Stuff I didn't know. Gonna let Chuck in here. Lynn, Elon Musk. All right. Is hosting Saturday Night Live this Saturday. And supposedly the cast is not happy. Yeah, they're not. He's not liked. I mean, it used to be, why would he be doing it? What's he famous for? Being the richest person, one of the richest people in the world. And, uh, you know, a scientific innovator, but he's not fun company. Like a lot of people who move uh, the world, <laughs> you know, with their inventions, their cars, their audacity, their entrepreneurship and, and their, uh, you know, sort of... Uh, not warm and friendly personalities. Um, you think of who gets asked to do Saturday Night Live and it's usually entertainers. Elon Musk is not an entertainer. Um, but, you know, my sense of the guys who run Saturday Night Live is that uh, they obviously know how to retain an audience and to keep a show going forever. Um, and so just giving Elon Musk this. I don't know why he'd even want to do it, but I guess when you're the one of the richest, you know, most important people in the universe, you get to do whatever you damn well, you know, want. So, um, yeah, I don't watch Saturday Night Live anymore. I wait till the next day and see what what was worth watching and then, you know, watch those clips. And we got, we're out of time. Chuck has one last comment about the speech. 
Biden said that when he talks with leaders from other countries and when he tells them that America is back, Biden said, oh, yeah, this was important. Biden said the comment he hears the most is, yeah, but for how long? Yeah. No, that is true. They, you know, our allies now are saying, okay, yeah, sure, you're back. You're back in the Paris Accords. You're back in this. You're back in that. You're back at the forefront of, you know, the climate change uh, challenge. But, right, are your idiot elect is your idiot electorate and your absurd system with its electoral college and its, you know, undemocratic uh, results? Are you, you're back now, what's it going to be in two years, four years? Hmm? We don't know whether to trust that you're back because your country is so volatile and your people so, you know, yin, yang, this, that, black, white, back, forth, pendulum swinging so fast that nothing ever gets done. Yeah. It was a, again, was a true point that he was making and uh, should give us some pause. We cannot let up. We have to keep our base excited and get them out for every election. There's one coming up in a few weeks, right? I said, right. Damn it. But I think that right was okay. Never mind, for those of you who don't know what I'm talking about. Anyway, I got to go, believe it or not. I do. I actually have to get on the road again. Okay, so next time I talk to you, it'll be from my abode in uh, Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Okay, have a great long weekend, and I'll talk to you on Monday. Lynn Cullen Live, Monday through Friday from 10 a.m. to 11 a.m. and archived at pghcitypaper.com. The opinions expressed on Lynn Cullen Live are those of the host and do not necessarily reflect the viewpoints of Pittsburgh City Paper or its advertisers.